And for all those that celebrate uh, Lunar New Year's, Happy New Year to all of you guys as well. Hope you guys uh, had your feast yesterday and continue to feast over the next two weeks. It's a long celebration, but it's awesome. And as a kid, you make bank, so. <laughs> I tell my kids it's going to their college fund. Uh, but. All right. So good morning. We're in our Fruit of the Spirit sermon series. And in Galatians 5, 23, it says this. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there are no laws. And so as we continue into the third topic of our current series, we are landing on the topic of peace. Peace is something that in the church we speak a lot about. We always pray about peace. And in the world that we live in right now, in the world that we see so much conflict going on, oftentimes that peace feels absent. In the church, we often talk about peace and we want world peace uh, and peace on earth. We even sing songs as kids, you guys know, I've got peace like a river, peace like a river. Or there's even the famous hymns that we sing, When Peace Like a River. You guys know that one? All maybe the older folks. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows and seas billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Great job, church. <laughs> this song is written by a composer by the name of Horatio G. Spafford. And when this song was written, it was in an event of great tragedy that was associated with it. In the writing of this hymn, Horatio, who's a, sh a lawyer in Chicago, in, in 1873, Horatio Spafford and his wife and their four daughters were advised by the family doctor to take a European holiday, primarily to improve the state of Mrs. Stafford's health. But because of unexpected business matter, it forced Spafford to postpone his departure, but his wife and daughters sailed on the scheduled ship in November 1873. But as that ship took off, another English ship sailing collided with the ship on November 22nd, and the ship his family was on sank in a matter of minutes. The daughters were lost, but Miss Bafford was rescued. And on December 1st, when the survivors had been brought to Cardiff in Wales, Mrs. Bafford sent the message, saved alone. Horatio Spafford wrote the words of this hymn as the ship was taking him to meet his wife near the spot of the tragedy. When peace like a river 
attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Peace that Jesus gives us is not the absence of trouble, but it is rather the confidence that we know that he is always with us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as a church to sit at your feet and to be in your presence and to experience your love, your joy, and your peace. Lord, we ask that you speak to our hearts today as we yearn to understand more of what you're doing in the spaces that we live in. We thank you for all that you are and for you always being present with us. So Lord, as we come together as a church, we ask for your spirit to be with us. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In John 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 27, it says this. Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives these words to his disciples as he is preparing them for ministry and eventually for his departure. In these words, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but the Father is going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And it's that through the Holy Spirit, it will teach you, but it will also help you remember all the things that I have taught you. That's what chapter 14, actually, Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, you're not going to be left alone, don't worry. Everything I've taught you will continue. And then he speaks these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. What is this peace? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see how Isaiah prophesies of the Messiah that's coming. And he speaks of Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. You see, peace comes from Jesus, and Jesus embodies peace. However, this peace isn't about a physical safety or even a political harmony. The word peace that we know comes from the word shalom. And shalom mostly translates as peace, but it also means unity, or to be whole, or to be complete. Peace is also a verb. Shalom could be used as a verb to restore, to be made complete. It's the action of making the broken whole again. It is to, to heal, for example, is to bring shalom. To end a conflict is to bring shalom. To repay a debt is to bring shalom. So shalom is not just a rest in our souls, but it's about restoration. 
So if we look at peace or the word shalom, the foundational meaning of shalom can be put this way. It's the spiritual harmony brought by an individual restoration with God. Shalom relates us back to a restored relationship with God through Jesus. It is a peace in our hearts because our heart is now in right relationship with God. It is a deep abiding peace with our creator that cannot be taken away. So the title of Jesus as a Prince of Peace is the fulfillment of his death on the cross that reconciles us back to Jesus. This is the essence of shalom. Knowing that we are now part of the kingdom of God, that God is with us. That we live in the love of God, the joy of God, and the peace of God, deep in the presence of God. So therefore, peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of God abiding in us that surpasses our understanding. Right, Jesus says, it's not what the world gives you, but it is what guards our heart and it guards our mind and is, it is in the presence of conflict. Jesus offers us this peace as a gift through his sacrifice. In Colossians 1, 19 to 20, it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace is a restoration of all of creation back to God. So peace in this way means that it needs to flow from somewhere. So where does it come from? It comes from the reign of God. In Psalms 97, it talks about how God reigns in which righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne, okay? And that the kingdom is marked with love and righteousness. That we can rejoice knowing that God's justice and righteousness is bound up in his love. When the world experiences God's rule, Psalms 97 actually says that there's a power that comes with it, that fire goes before him, burning up his adversaries, that lightning light up the world, that the mountains melt like wax and put the idols to shame. What imagery, right? There's this powerful imagery and it sounds destructive and it sounds kind of scary. But God uses these words to remind us of who he is. He uses these words to remind us that it is God who restores, that justice will come from him, and that righteousness is God's alone. So by knowing this, we therefore then could 
come up with the idea that peace is knowing that God rules and reigns on this earth. That God has put this action as a redemptive plan for the world. This is hard for us as a church. Why is it hard? Because oftentimes when we look at peace, we associate it with justice, right? We associate it with justice and it's very tight, closely tied. And we, every single person in this room has their own version of what justice looks like, right? That justice is limited to kind of our experiences. I look at my kids and it's at a place where they're still so innocent, so what they think is fair is very subjected to their own feelings, right? And so like if something happens, my son who's the, who I've described as a tender-hearted one, justice for him looks very different than justice for my daughter. Justice for my daughter is due to him what he just did to me. He hit me, you hit him back. Justice for my son is not that way. Justice for my son is more, I just need you to comfort me. And actually, if I threaten to hit her, his sister back, he cries even more because he has compassion for his sister. But that shows us that justice in each person's eyes look very different. Justice in each person's emotion feels very different. And for us, we're only getting a glimpse of what justice actually means from God. And if we look at Psalms 95, it says that justice belongs to who? To God. That sometimes justice, in our opinion of what needs to happen, doesn't happen the way that God is going to play it out. Let's take an example from when Jesus was on the cross. Two thieves hung beside him. Justice was served for those thieves. Justice in our humanity, in our human eyes, that was served, that justice was there, that death was his consequence, death was his penalty. Yet when he repented, Jesus said what? That today you will be with me in paradise. These thieves are not just thieves that steal, okay? These thieves, if you take into those contexts of what these people were actually being crucified for, was that they would sit on the side of the road waiting for travelers to come through, and not only would they steal their things, they would kill part of the, the, the caravan that was going through. They were not just thieves, they were also murderers. These are people that are, are bullies. They're, they're people that are, are intentionally there to hurt people. And so in so many ways, their, their crucifixion on the cross is justified. Yet Jesus said, because of your faith and what you know today, you will be in paradise. In our minds, if that happened, if these thieves came upon our family members and did something to our families, justified doesn't mean them going to paradise. Yet Jesus said, today you will be with me. 
God's justice is so different from ours. What we feel is right, what we feel is restoration is so different from the, from the ideas that we have in our minds. And God says that justice is mine. God's plan of justice is found in the person of Jesus. When we look at the justice of Jesus, it is motivated by the love of God. In the hymn that I shared with you in the beginning of the sermon, peace like a river attendeth my way. Why is peace always associated with this idea of river? Is that these words remind us that like a river that moves with its obstacles of the land, peace cares for us in the same way. It allows us to flow and move. That there are moments where there is rushing moments, but there are also moments that are still. But that peace keeps us going, and like a river, it doesn't stop, but it also always overcomes. So how do we remind ourselves of living in this peace? In Psalms 119, 165, it says this, it says, great peace have those who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. In the scripture, we encounter the Prince of Peace himself. When we spend time in reading his word, we grow deeper in our relationship with God. We get to understand the depth of who we are, and the more we know God, the more we know who we are as we're made in his image. So we need to root ourselves in God's presence. We need to root ourselves in God's word. We need to come and sit at his feet. I remember for myself in understanding this peace of God. It was a, a moment in when I was studying in seminary. You see, I've, I've always had a complicated relationship with the church. I have a complicated relationship with the church because as a kid growing up in a church, it always felt like the church was just about doing what is right and doing what is wrong and not doing what is wrong. It was always this reminder that I was a sinner and it was always this reminder that, oh, you need to do things, live life this way. And what became my image of God was this tyrant that was just out to, to get me in some way, to catch me in my sins. Right? And so I've always had this complicated relationship with God, which is why I also left the church for a season in my life and decided to do my own thing. And for those that know my testimony, know that I did my own thing. I paved my own path, led me to some trouble. 
But even as I returned back to God and came back into the right relationship with God, there's this aspect that continued to be there, right? This aspect where I feel like if I don't behave this way, I'm going to get in trouble. If I don't do these things, that God's not going to love me. If I don't try hard enough to live the way that God wants me to live, that God's going to be disappointed in me. How many of you guys feel that sometimes? I think in so many ways, when we look at God as this tyrant or this dictator or this overlord that demands us to behave in a certain way, we have the wrong image of God. You see, God doesn't punish us when we make mistakes because Jesus already took that punishment. I believe that this is oftentimes the church's way of control. Control the way that we do things, point out our errors, produce results, rather than to offer God and his compassion, his mercy, and his grace, rather than to offer God's love. See, God wants to lead and guide us through his process. And so as in seminary, as I was studying the creation story, came to a place where we have this story of Eve facing the serpent. And she's at this place where she is tempted by the serpent and says, this tree of knowledge, this tree of good and evil, you know that tree that we were talking about? That God said, don't eat from? Well, if you eat from it, it makes you like God. But prior to those verses in chapter two, God tells Adam and tells Adam and says, don't eat from this tree because if you eat from this tree, you surely will die. As I was looking at this passage and looking at this interaction of Eve and then Eve failing at being tempted by Satan, taking the fruit and then giving the fruit to Adam, what I then began to understand was that this idea of good and evil, this sin that, that Eve committed that has caused all of humanity to die, that yes, death is there, but there is also good. It is the tree of what? Good and evil. And we focus so much in the church that this is an evil thing that Eve has done. Yes, she disobeyed. 
But what it made me realize is that when we live life, it is a process of making good decisions and bad decisions. And when I came to that realization that life is a process of moving towards death, but that there are both good and evil things to it, all of a sudden, my world came to this place of knowing that God isn't just there to point out my mistakes. God isn't there as this tyrant overlord that is just saying, see what you've done wrong, see what you've done wrong, see what you've done wrong. But God is there working through all of our wrongs, but also in the processes of all that is right. What this helped me do is understand something that was much greater, and it's that God reigns in my life in both the good and the bad. That God doesn't just look at the bad things of my life. He's not a tyrant king that just points out all the negative things in my life. That God is in the process of all the things that are good too that it is both good and evil, that God comes into my life, and that means that God reigns in my life in both the good and the bad. But we live in this church culture where we're just pointed out the bad things, and that's why I had this hard time and this hard relationship with the church because of the fact that when I come into this space, I need to behave a certain way. But God says no, that in the mistakes that you make, there are also good things that happen. And that I rule in, that, in all of those good things too. And that it is both the good and the evil that comes together that I am able to rule in your life. When that realization came to me, it was this revelation that came and just, I felt like, the floor that I was standing on fell. Fell to a place where all of a sudden I had peace. Peace to know that God doesn't just look at the bad things that I do. Peace to reconcile that God isn't this tyrant out there that basically forces me into a place of doing good things only. Peace to know that all the good things that, that I have in my life are also from God. When we begin to see both the good and the evil that's happening in our lives, God begins to reign in our lives in a place where we see him in every single thing. I got married later in life. I got married at the age of 33. Some of you guys are like, um, I'm not that, I'm, I'm there and uh, I'm still not married. Don't worry, God has a plan for you. I, at one point in my late 20s, just thought it's never going to happen because I was in this very long dry spell. 
I just reconciled the fact that I'm going to be like Paul. And I'm going to be single. My life belongs to the Lord. Life of celibacy. Right? You know, I don't know if you guys wrestle with that. I did. In so many ways, in that singleness, I saw it as a bad thing. I saw it as a thing where it was like that I didn't have enough. That God wasn't giving me enough. And then my wife comes along. Well, actually, Steph and I have known each other since we were 19, so it's not like she came along. Uh, She was always, I, I always had a friendship with Steph. But God came and it's like, you know what, I, I've given you someone, you just haven't looked. Actually, someone came to me at church one day, he's like, do you see the tree in the forest? <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Here's the thing, is that in those places that we feel like it's bad for us, God has good in all of it. And that there's good that comes with bad. But this requires us to understand something, is that God reigns. That whose rule and reign is over our lives that we are all part of this redemptive plan that God is doing within the world. That God has come to restore a new creation through his son Jesus. That in that new creation, we get to experience all that is good and all that is bad. But this allows us to see the love of God the joy of God, the peace of God, the grace, the mercy, and the compassion of God. It allows us to walk in a place that in our struggles of belief, that God's peace will always be there. I know this is a tension. We're constantly living in this tension of the world, right? We're constantly living in this place where we want to just live in the kingdom and live in heaven and be with God and, 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 and all of those good things. And, but we have to interact with the world and all the things that the world throws at us. This is tension. But God says... In all of this, there's peace. Peace is this. It is holding on to the sovereignty of God, knowing that he holds all things in his hands. And that God works all things for our good. That is the peace of God. Peace comes when we trust God. So what does it tell us as a church? 
as recipients of God's peace, of God's shalom, the right, the reconciliation of right relationships. We, as a church, are called to be bearers of God's shalom in a world that yearns for healing and restoration. And Philippians 4, 7 says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is what we're called to do as a church. And so today as we come together and as we finish off here, I want this verse to be our prayer as people of God. So let's stand and read this and we're going to close off in prayer. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Father God, we just come before you as a church knowing that you are God and that you are sovereign. And in the things that we don't understand, Lord, that you are there. So Lord, as we continue to walk this life out with you, Lord, may your peace go before us. May your peace help us in the places that we don't understand. And will you guard our hearts and our minds through your son, Jesus Christ, and the sacrifice that he paid for us. As church, we come and we say, amen. Love the word that John brought there. Just peace is our relationship with God. And peace is our whole relationship with God. We have to bring him the good. We have to bring him the, the bad. And then, yes, we even have to give him those little dark corners that are pretty ugly. But you look at what God says throughout the Bible. You know, in particular, it was coming to me what he keeps crying out to Israel. He keeps saying, I want your heart. He doesn't say, I want your goodness. He doesn't say, I want your good attitudes. He doesn't say, I, I need your sacrifice or I, I need you to follow everything. He just says, I need your heart. He wants everything. It sounds like a lot, but he also gave a lot to us. You know, I was thinking even, you know, you look at the Bible, it has worship, it has history, it's poems, it's lament, there's anger, there's frustration in there. You want to hear God's frustration? Read Jeremiah, Isaiah. But he doesn't hold back himself. It's not like he gives us this curated, you know, I mean, he gives us a little bit of Jesus' love, but like he gives us everything because that's what he wants back from us. He's trying to show us it's okay to have anger. It's okay to have frustration. It's okay to have anxiety, but I need you to trust in me. I need you to give it all to me. I need you to trust me with everything you've got because then you can know peace. Then you can know love. And then you can take that to other people. You know, the Lord kind of showed me a, a funny word. You know, John was talking about the tension we live in in the world. And I was thinking about as a kid, you know, when your parents said, okay, we're going to grandma and grandpa's house. You packed up your bag, you jumped in the car, right? You trusted your parents to get you there. 
You didn't check the financials to make sure they had enough money for gas. You didn't check the weather report. You didn't check the, the road conditions. Every time you hit a pothole on the road, you didn't immediately back out and say, okay, something's gone wrong. This isn't the original plan. And I feel like that's what the Lord's trying to tell us, that, that peace that we have where we just jump in the car and we let him take us to where he's told us he's going. A lot of you have words, and they're words that are way out there. But don't get caught up in the nitty-gritty on the path there. Don't question the finances. Don't question the path. This is the peace of the Lord we're talking about. It's that shalom. It's that wholeness. We need to find that contentment, that completeness in him. And yes, there's going to be potholes. And yes, there's going to be rainstorms. But that's okay because if our peace is in him, we also know that he provides everything to bring us to the conclusion, to bring us to that end. I mean, we trust him with our lives. We trust him with our eternity, right? I mean, that's why we're all here. It's eternity. So if we trust that he can somehow take a broken body and get it to eternity, I think we can trust that he can make in our work life, in our personal life, us get to whatever it is that the Lord has called you to. And that's, again, it's having peace in, what, in, in him. So, Lord, we just come before you this morning and we ask for peace. Lord, we ask for your peace to fill us. Lord, fill us top to bottom. Lord, there is so much anxiety in the world. There is so much worry. There is so much out there. Our city is, I constantly use the word relentless in financials, and you turn on the news, and it's just, it's all ugly. There's little bits of happiness where a puppy saves somebody, but then it's all ugly. And Lord, we need peace. We need your peace. Because yours is the peace that supersedes understanding. We don't have to understand why we're at peace, Lord. We don't have to understand the process that you are taking us to. We don't have to know the details. We just have to know you have spoken it. You have never failed in a promise. Your love is just as relentless. It comes after us each and every moment of the day. And so, Lord, we come before you and we ask peace. Lord, that you would take our worries, that you would take our anxieties, and you would move them as far as the east is from the west. Lord, it's not that we can't think about them, but Lord, we just put our trust in you. We put our trust in your process. And we know there are good days and there are bad days, but we know that in your, in following you, there is joy, there is peace. And there is love, and that you give them in abundance, overflowing. You don't give us just enough. You always love to bless your people and pour it upon them until it overflows and it pours onto those around them. And Lord, so we just, when we don't understand, we just say, praise your name, because you are high and mighty and your ways are above our ways. And so Lord, as your ways are above our ways, let our way be peace, peace in who you are, peace in our Savior, in our God, and in our King, in all the things in our lives. Lord, show us how to give up those little pieces that we still hold to, the pieces that we still pretend you don't know about. Lord, let us give those up to you, and let us, let us just rest in you, rest under your wings, and let your strength lift us up. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.